right, friends. Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have John Doe, punk rock pioneer with X, singer, songwriter, poet, actor, solo artist, published author, and folk musician. The legendary John Doe. I've been so excited for this interview. I've been working on getting uh, in touch with John for uh, since 2020, since Alphabet Land, X's last record, which if you haven't heard Alphabet Land, you guys got to check that out. John's got a new, uh, he's got a folk trio together and a new record out called Fables in a Foreign Land. It's a concept record where the main character is traveling through um, a pre-industrial land. And um, John does an amazing job of organizing these tunes he wrote to display this narrative um he's accompanied with kevin smith willie nelson's upright bass player and conrad chew crown on the kit conrad and kevin do an amazing job of taking this narrative john pieced together with these songs and bringing it out to full fruition the unit itself has this amazing live at feel like this record feels live and like there's a certain energy when you see a band and when you see them just live in performance or when you hear a live record, there's a certain like approach that doesn't it's it's a magic captured. It's a ma- it's a lightning strike in the bottle. And after talking with John, a lot of this was done live. There's this vulnerable beauty to this record. It's a little stripped down in comparison to like the Westerner or uh, even Meet John Doe, if we go back that far. Like, there's a self-realization of this is all I need to make this song as impactful as it needs to be. We're going to listen to a track. Let's listen to a Never Coming Back. Here we go. Never Coming Back off Fables of Born with John Doe. So many people rushing by Everybody dressed in black Whispers up in the sky And never coming back You killed my mind Burn down their side
Never Coming Back off Fables of a Foreign Land, John Doe and the John Doe Trio. We all find uh, we all find things that rejuvenate us and keep us going throughout our life. And um, certain bands for me, every time they're in town, I'll go see them. X is one of those bands. If you're new here, um, I play in a band called C-Level, letter C-Dash. Quick plug, we're uh, opening for King Yellowman on July 12th at the Grog Shop. Um, I did an interview with him a couple episodes back. But anyway, so uh, that being said, my bass player, Dakota Michael Kroos, got me hip to X. And uh, I remember seeing X for the first time at the Beachland Ballroom. And uh, you watch videos, you see a decline of Western civilization, you hear these records, you feel like this energy. And like, there's this tendency of when you see bands that have been around for a while, that isn't there. But when we saw X, they came in full force. And it wasn't, it was, it was even better than what we've heard. And every time I've seen them, it's been like that. So X has been a huge influence on me and John in particular hearing how the harmonies that him and Xene would do and how they can take this genre that is rough and make it melodic and tell stories has been so impactful. So I've been I've been prepping for this interview since 2020. So this has been a great, great honor to, to dive into his new work and be able to talk to him about it. Um, one thing that I found really, really cool, and I hope you guys dig into it, is accompanying this record is a live session they're putting out with every single, and it should all be out now. And it features more of what a live show's like, so there's some covers on there, one of which is the Big Rock Candy Mountain. Strange song, but um, had a lot of meaning to me and my family. My uh, Aunt Mary, who um, had a pet name named Two, as a little kid, you know, you're like, oh, that's Grandma. And um, here's someone that looks like Grandma. There's two Grandmas, so that's where that came from. But... um, her and her sisters, they had a Victrola when they were younger, and they had one record, which was the Big Rock Candy Mountain. So throughout the years, during family reunions and parties, they would get to a certain point in the night where everybody starts singing, and uh, I would just kind of watch, and they would try to figure out the Big Rock Candy Mountain, and they would only get so far. But um, when I was going through uh, the promo pack and going through these videos, the first one I watched was that, and I was like, oh, no way. And... Um, through all those years, I've never heard the full song. So it's really special to be able to hear this full song and from someone that I've admired and now get to get to talk to. And um, so, yeah, so you're going to hear me rehash that again with John. And we get into it. It gets deep. This is a this was a really, really inspiring conversation. Um, John Doe and the John Doe Trio are playing at the Music Box Supper Club. June 21st, and one more thing um, before we get into this conversation. If you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, it helps me um, keep talking to cool people and sharing their insights with you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with John Doe. (laughs) (laughs) All gigs are very cool, especially now, man. So uh, my first question I got for you, I got kind of a preamble. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, so growing up, my Aunt Mary lived with my grandma and uh, uh-huh. when I was real little, right? So I didn't, as a kid, you know, I was like, oh, that's my grandma. And that's a lady that looks just like her. That's two. So she had this pet name named <laughs> Two, right? <laughs> and um, she uh, she just passed this year, but 
growing up, when the family reunions and the parties would get going, later in the evening, they would all start singing, or we would all start singing, but like uh, one song that kept coming up was the Big Rock Candy Mountain. And uh, two would always tell oh, me wow. they had a Victrola that they would crank, right? And the one record they had growing up was the Big Rock Candy Mountain. And uh, so on your live session, I was like, oh, no way, that's on there. So my question <laughs> with that was, uh, songs like the Big Rock Candy Mountain and um, uh, Where the Songbirds Live, do they uh -huh. address your pet peeve of access or do they like help shed light on that? <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I'd say it's more of a wish and a, a wish and a dream. Um, although the VIP world, or as my friend Amy Nelson likes to say, VIPness <laughs> is, uh, infuriating. I mean, I like a little extra as much as anybody else does, but you know, people throwing their weight around and, uh, and, and people purposely not getting what everybody should have or everybody should have access to it's hor it's horrible i mean it's it's like i don't i i understand it but i don't get it uh, i just i think that there's enough to go around and and uh i i don't understand i mean i i don't get the ultimate greediness that that seems to be uh so rampant um, but which, which version of Big Rock Candy Mountain did you listen to? Burl Ives or, uh, or, um, what's his name? Mac McClintock. I can't remember which one. So it's <sighs> weird. I, well, the Burl Ives one, the, the, the Burl Ives one goes, Oh, <laughs> the buzzing of the bees in the sycamore trees. And it's all cleaned up. It's all for kids. The buzzing of the bees in the sycamore trees, the soda water fountain. And they don't say anything like, uh, you know, the little streams of alcohol come trickling down the rock and stuff like that. I guess Burl Ives had a pretty big hit with it. And, and I, actually, I actually learned it from um, a guy named Sam Hinton, who used to live in San Diego. He recently passed away. And he was a biology teacher. Like, uh, I think, at, um, I think at, the, at the university down there, they got a big, you know, like a big biology uh, I can't remember which university is. Maybe Scripps? Is that down there? I don't know. Anyhow, uh, he was a biology teacher and a, and a huge musicologist. And he, he had a record I had as a kid. He made a record I had as a kid called Singing Across America. And it had the Big Rock Candy Mountain. It also had a, a song that I do on occasion called Sierra Peaks, which is a cowboy song. And, um, yeah, they were very influential as a kid. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, you also pointed out in the in the in the live cut of it that these were songs made for kids. When I think back of the one, I think I think it was the kid one that I heard, and then uh, grow because the biggest regret I had is I wanted to learn that and play that for, her, but I I never got time to learn it. But nah. I would hear them sing it right, so piecing together what they grew up with too. I don't know what they had on the the Victrola, but. I think it was the more the more kiddish one, but they 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 would get stumbled up on the lyrics, and I don't know if that was because of the partying or, or uh, just the, there's a lot of words. Yeah, there are. Trust me, <laughs> trust me. When I when I relearned it, it was like, 
and there's a lot of words. You gotta you gotta be ready with the next line as you're finishing the line before it. So it's a, yeah, you can get uh, tangled up. You're tongue tied. <laughs> That's so cool though. Musicology is really interesting. Like even like a tune like yeah. a House of the Rising Sun, tracing the lineage yes. of where that came from. Like what's that yeah. about? You know, <laughs> like. There's so many different. I know. That's so. That's, but anyway, like, so, like, when you were picking picking songs like for this tour, was was Big Rock Candy Mountain just something you were working on and just plucking along with a lot of your solo gigs, or did it fit with the fable of a fair, uh, fable of foreign lands? Um, well, it was inspired by a crazy gig that I got playing around a campfire at a super luxurious resort in Montana and some guy that, that, that curates that and he brings chefs out there and you know, all kinds of fancy stuff for fancy people. And he asked me to come out and I was singing, you know, at these campsites and that seemed uh, fitting. So that's when I relearned it that's for that. A very just yeah. position to be in this kind of like, really well put together a spot especially with the yeah the narrative it's weird it's it's weird but it, it it challenges you you know talking about access and vip right. um stuff it you have to square yourself with um i'm a working musician i make a certain amount of money here's people that could buy and sell that 10 times over but i'm not gonna uh be prejudiced I'm going to I'm going to treat them with respect until they prove <laughs> not to be <laughs> you know until yeah. they until, until proven otherwise you know I'm going to see them as a good person until right. proven otherwise so No and I definitely you know I it seems I don't know if it's just hype from internet culture or whatever but it seems like that that isn't the case a lot it seems like there's a lot of kind of like prejudging so like I think that's a really Yes really healthy mindset to be in because we're all different we all have different thoughts but you know yeah. we're all that's the beauty of the world <laughs> that's how we learn yeah you know uh a friend of mine said the reason people are so angry is because they've seen chaos mm -hmm. and they're scared especially in the last couple of years they've Definitely. seen how chaotic things can be and you know other um irresponsible people with a megaphone are ramping up, you know, hate and things like that. And, and, uh, if you've seen the chaos, then you're afraid of it. So that's a bummer. Yeah. But uh, what are you going to do? Just try to, just try to be the best you can encourage people to, to do what they can and be an ally and, and, and work for the greater good, you know, try to spread some love and, uh, or art, either one. I think that's well said because you can get so caught up in like what it should be and what it is and art speaks for itself. And like, I feel like if you're a, if you're immersing yourself in whatever you're, you're drawn to do and in like fully uh, able to do what brings you bliss or whatever brings you bliss, people yeah. are inspired by that. Like, Oh, he's doing what he's been wanting to do for years. I want to start to do that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it's kind of yeah. it's crazy to think because like it, some people can see it through like a selfish selfish lens of like oh uh -huh. they're like uh yeah it's all about the the performer about them but like in a way if you can believe in yourself that much there's inspiration from that to like 
dive into whatever yeah. your outlet is. Yeah. Well, it, de it, de it depends. I mean, there are some people that are just in it because they're uh, <laughs> fucking narcissists. Right, right. But you know those guys. You know what I mean? Well, like... <laughs> you know, yes and no. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, sometimes you do. Sometimes you can get tricked. True, you know? true. That was, uh, that's something about what uh, El Romanso is about, you know, someone pretending a bunch of stuff. And, and it, it was inspired by a few people that I've known over the years. Um, actually, I had a dream. I had a dream, and most of the, the the biggest thing I remember of the dream is the is the name El Romanso. Mm. And so I started working on this as a as a song, which I don't usually go from a concept to a song. It usually just starts some words start pouring out, and and then I just tell, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do here. But this was a little different, and you know somebody, and they're like exaggerating a lot, and then you come to realize that they're just you, you you've been in the uh situation that they're that they're describing and you're thinking that didn't really happen like that <laughs> <laughs> I, I was there <laughs> and then you realize that they're just bullshitters and then you can you know sort of separate yourself from them because you, you don't want to hang out with people like that um so so yeah like like you're saying you, you can you sometimes can tell your intuition tells you, A, this person's unreliable, then they probably are. But um, you can get fooled. It's easy to get, it's, it's easy to get fooled. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I guess, I, bet, I think when, when it comes down to the real nitty-gritty of the character, like when you're actually working with them, you know. Or like you're saying, if you're in that story, you know. Like uh, there was a couple, there was another song that came from a dream on the, this batch of tunes, right? Oh, yeah, a long, long time ago. Um, the song, there's a black horse. I was, um, breaking up with a, with an older woman. I was like 19 and she was 30. It was scandalous <laughs> back in like 1973 or four, but she was awesome. Mary Agnes Smith. So it was, and it was before I was John Doe. And I, I think, I think about that from time to time, I was, you know, had a had a uh, a relationship with a woman named Mary Smith, and then I then I become John Doe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the check the check magnets, <laughs> the check writing fools. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's awesome. And and as we were separating, I just had this dream where where she's standing there, and there's a she's next to a horse, and this mane is blowing in her face, and it was like, oh yeah, that's there it is. There's there's your exit. Um. And I was inspired by uh, actually Raymond Zarek, not to name drop, but uh, he said, you know, we, we need some new Doors songs, even though Jim's long gone. We, I don't know when this was, like 95 or something like that. Whenever he and Robbie Krieger were doing the Doors with Ian Asbury. Right. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and uh, we need some new songs. And I, I gave him those words. Nothing ever happened to it. And then I thought, well, Fuck that! I'm gonna. <laughs> they're good words. Uh, I think I'll make a song out of it. That's got to be. It's got. I don't know. When you submit a thing like that and you're hanging out, just like one day, it's gonna go somewhere or it won't. Just that waiting. Like I know with with yeah. Ray, you guys have a, a working relationship, and uh, he's yeah, got did. multiple interview clips about him saying how he was drawn into X for the lyrics as well as the music. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I can see that being like, come on, respond to my mail. <laughs> like yeah. 
Was it okay? Well, here's a, <laughs> yeah, here's the here's thing. Is, uh, on occasion, you'll get a tip that's, that somebody is looking for a song for a movie or something like that. Or on rare, rare occasions, a publisher might say, you know, so-and-so is looking for songs. And you'll try to think of something or even you'll write something. And it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, then you still got a song, True. you know? Yeah. yeah so yeah. that's, so it's, it's a, it's a good challenge. You know, it's a good thing to put your effort toward. Now with that tune, when you, did you take some kind of Morrison approaches to it? Writing the lyrics? Like kind no, of it, and, no. Okay. Well, maybe, I mean, it was, uh, it, I mean, I, I was influenced. I'll, I'll cop to that. I was definitely influenced by Jim Morrison in, in the, I gravitate towards things that are cinematic. Right. Um, I, I like having a place and time and people in my songs. Um, that's just what I, what I like. Um, but no, it, it just, it, those words were hanging around a little bit and I kind of messed with them and thought, Oh, well, this sounds like it could be a blues song. And that was the doors was blues songs. And, and I, yeah, I put it on the record. I can't remember. I think it was called Forever Hasn't Happened Yet. So it was a different version of it. And this one, it fits so well with the time and place that I was um, trying to conjure. Uh, it's, I just thought, well, we should do another version of that with the trio. And, mm. and it turned out it turned out a little different. And, and uh, I stretched it out a little bit more. Uh, that was Steve Berlin uh, who helped produce it. He was our—he was kind of our go-to producer, Dave Way, who engineered and produced, and myself. We would like fill in some uh, some blanks here and there. But Steve was really the main producer, and he said, "Well, why don't you do it like you know, more like a um, a a blues singer who doesn't adhere to the you know to the form tw to the twelve-bar yeah. form and just hang out of you know." Find a couple words you can just hang on for a little bit. So, yeah, with that, with that instruction, I kind of found a place that you could <clears throat> stretch the, the number of measures in the form. Yeah, that, like writing-wise, I imagine that's great. Learning it, you're like, what is he doing? Where is this going to go? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the that's the advantage of of getting to work with you know, real pros like yeah. Kevin, Kevin Smith and Conrad Chacroon, because they're used to, you know, some of these Texas songwriters who just go anywhere and everywhere. And they've all, all got their different version of uh, songs that they played several times. So they, they're, they're on it. <laughs> if you, if you fuck up and you go to the chord too soon, they're there, you know? So that's, that's exciting. Yeah. It's definitely one, this record compared to like the Westerner or like, the previous solo endeavors is very kind of like stripped down in a sense, but it mm -hmm. sounds like like to have that kind of like it feels it feels live in the best way it, and like it was live it was live it was all live wow yeah that's well weird. we we did cut between takes on occasion right. but we um I, I might have I'm sure I've said this in another interview but um when Lockdown happened. I called up Kevin, who normally plays with Willie Nelson. Mm. And, and I said, you're home, right? And he goes, of course I am. And, and I said, can I come over to your, you know, we can play on your back porch or on your patio. 
said, sure, that'd be great. So we did that for a month or two and then called up Conrad and he came over and for a year and a half, we just started working on songs and we, Conrad kind of muffles his drums and he can play lightly. And, um, so we just sang and played in the air, uh, Kevin with his upright bass and me with an acoustic guitar. And so when we recorded it, we just did the same thing. We went into a really nice studio, um, owned by Jim Eno and uh, from Spoon and um, and but we just sat up, we just set up and played. We didn't have headphones. We knew we couldn't overdub because the vocals would be leaking into the upright bass mic and so on. And so it is live, and and I I'm glad that you could pick that up. It definitely it's definitely got that feel. It's in, I wonder like so uh, Kevin Kevin throws down. I can't remember what tune it was, but there's one where he's just like slapping on that upright and like oh yeah yeah that. Uh, that's traveling, not an easy traveling thing to so do. hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, and like he's wailing <laughs> on that. I'm like, oh my god. Well, he comes. He comes from uh, this band called High Noon, mm. which was, uh, I think, from Denver, and they were a very traditional rockabilly band in the in the '90s. I think, or where they didn't even have a drummer. So it, it was like you know Elvis and Scotty Moore and Bill Black. Yeah. So the the bass player was the drummer as well. He's he's really good at that. He. Yeah, he can he can play the shit out of that so. Like, have you ever tried an upright bass? Uh, a little bit. It's yeah. too much work. Yeah, <laughs> it's too hard. <laughs> then you got to haul it around. And, uh, <laughs> better left to somebody else. Oh, and those things pop too. Some people, if you put them in too hot of a place, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man, it's definitely so heard... it's definitely um, a respect for the craft because like there's way more convenient oh, yeah. ways to do it. Um, oh yeah. When you write for like. Uh, a project like like your solo work compared to like X, do you write on a bass for X and then write on I a do. guitar? Yeah? Okay. I do. Um, yes, I do. I do write on bass for X uh, just because that's the way I started doing it. Yeah. And uh, it leaves more room for, for Billy Zoom to – more room for Zoom <laughs> to uh, – you know, to interpret what kind of guitar part, if, if you are showing somebody uh, who plays guitar, a song on a guitar, then they think, oh, well, that's the way it ought to be played. And you don't necessarily mean that, but it kind of colors their first impression of it. Right. So it's good. It's good. Well, in like, I guess, um, well, yeah, because like it, approaching it like that, one, I always found it kind of like hard to hear the, the to build upon. Like with a guitar, you kind of hear vocally where you can go. Um, but if you're doing it as a group, that makes sense. Um, and I, I read or heard with Alphabet Land, um, there was a, you guys let Billy and DJ like, like interpret the chords differently or more differently than on past records. How, uh-huh. how so was that? Oh, um, I think the last few years I've really worked on my ego and tried to ditch it. Hmm. Um, I have plenty of sense of self, so I don't I don't need to to be as rigid. And um, Billy and DJ just came with more experience and, and more willingness to contribute. So if something was if something wasn't working, I'd just say, okay, well let's find some different chords, or let's you know Billy would say, let's take out a chord or two and see if that works and. You know, just being a little more flexible. Um, and, and I, you know, DJ's recorded with a lot of other people. He, he does some stuff where 
people just send him a, a song and he puts down a drum track and then sends it back to him and things like that. Um, so they just had, you know, I think maybe we're all a little more um, open and confident to, to contribute. So that's how that happened. Oh, okay. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a, like a weird, like, cause it, uh, Billy, he, he played with like Etta James, right. And like Gene Vincent, like he had some like jazz chops in there. Yes. Yeah. That's, yes. a, that's incredible. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, as far as songwriting lessons go, I imagine there's some nuggets he'll sneak in there, but maybe don't pan out for like an X tune. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Billy was the, for my money, or in my opinion, he was the one who brought rockabilly guitar playing to punk rock. I don't know any of anybody else who did that. I can't. Yeah, I can't uh, pin it to anything. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe uh, Robert Quine from uh, the Voidoids, Richard Hell and the Voidoids. He had some Chuck Berry shit going on, but but Billy was the one was the main person who brought that forward. That was. You know that was one of those things that that we all we all recognized and and realized early on that we had someone who had great experience, um, could keep us honest. Sometimes we felt like the boundaries were a little bit tight, you know. But yeah. if you can do any if you can do anything, then you sometimes end up doing too much or it's right. like it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like anything it sounds like too much of everything you know yeah. you have to kind of pick your uh, for any musicians reading or listening you kind of pick your genre and what it's hard to find out what you're going to make of that hmm. and but once you do if you kind of stick to that then you're then you're going to have something and people can say oh yeah that's those guys that do that thing right and and you, you don't want to get stale but at the same time, you don't want to try to do too much. And I don't believe that you have to reinvent yourself all the time. Some people are great at it, but you don't have to. No, I definitely agree with that. It's interesting because, like with X, you guys have so much different influence, right? So Billy's coming with the rockabilly. You had like a like I I was watching um X the unheard music, and like there's uh -huh. those really there was these really cool clips of you and X scene shedding on like Hank Williams tunes, just going through a book. And like, yeah, getting tunes yeah. down. So there's this kind of country singer or songwriter influence, and like, all that's heard in X. So I think that was really well said that you kind of pick the pick the spices you need for this dish. Yes. Um, yeah. Do you do you still have the giant metal X from the Lax Building? Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can't lose that. It's part of it's part of our mojo. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, one thing I wanted to, um, with Tomato Do Plenty and Top Jimmy, they kind of, did they influence you as far as like um, kind of going into a more country route or influence the knitters? Well, Tomato was just a, uh, it's hard to, to pin Tomato down because he had lived kind of he had lived a whole other life as an entertainer before he came to punk rock right and he was you know he was like all of 28 or 29 years old when we were all 23 or maybe he was 30 oh my god uh when you know 
Darby and Pat Smear were 19 or something, you know? Right. Um, he was in a, a group called the Coquettes. Right. The Naked News up, and yeah, yeah. Up in, up in San Francisco. And then and Tommy here were in Seattle and had another band. I can't remember the name right now. But Tomato had this incredible lust for life. And he was so, um, like, like he just stepped out of, you know, Bertolt Brecht uh, play or something, you know, and, and he was just, he, he taught everybody so much about presence and joy, even though a lot of their stuff was, um, was kind of dark, had a dark sound. He was, yeah, he, he was a, a wonderful inspiration. He thought, you know, kind of like, uh, I lived in Baltimore, kind of like the John Waters crew who I would see at bars and stuff like that. It's like, shit, if they can do it, <laughs> maybe I can do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're, they're not, they're not so unreachable. And then top Jimmy was just a, um, a great singer. And, and I think, yeah, he, he influenced the way that I sang on maybe my first, uh, solo record. Cause he would really belt it out. And, and I, I was inspired by that. Um, and top Jimmy also, taught us to value life <laughs> over lifestyle because he, he really kind of he really kind of drank himself to death you know mm. it's, which is which was sad but it's like you know you that's what you choose to do then okay right that, that's that's your lesson right you know? And it's hard because you don't want to you don't want to parent somebody and tell them what they can or cannot do and like if they're going to do that they're going to do that um, yeah, well, you you, you do know. want to pull a, you do want to try to pull them aside and say, for sure, uh, <laughs> is this still is this still working for you? Because that's a, fucking... that's a good friend. <laughs> a good friend checks yeah. you. Um, yes. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting. Okay, yeah, because like on Meet John Doe, you were wailing on that record. What was it like working yeah. with uh, Richard Lloyd? It was it was a challenge. Yeah, because he you know to. To kind of steer him in a in a direction was a challenge, um, but it was it was exciting. I think I, I, at the time, you know, at the time he was um, a little he was a wild card within something that was a little straighter, you know, something that was on that fringe of uh, Americana, even though it wasn't even called that then. You know, I was on the edges. I was on the edges of uh, John Mellencamp or or Bruce Springsteen, but with a little more. Mm. You know. So yeah, or, or just a little. I don't know, a little different. And and Richard Lloyd had had this you know, style. Um, so yeah, he, he was balanced out by John D. Graham, who is very traditional, kind of um, country blues rock and roll player and uh i was over my head i had no idea what i really yeah i had i gotten a ridiculous recording budget from geffen records and david segerson had just produced like the bangles or something like that and i didn't have a i didn't have like you can do anything oh shit what is that what's, <laughs> what's anything yeah is, is that is that every you know so if you can do anything, it's hard to pick and choose. And so I, you know, chose some musicians I trusted, like Tony Marsico and 
John D. Graham was a was a new friend, but I, I he'll he still will keep you honest. I I'm still in touch with him uh, now and then. <clears throat> but it was yeah. I don't think I really figured out what I wanted to who I was until maybe the first Yep Rock record, the Forever Forever hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Well, it seems like maybe each, the, each maybe one the last led to it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, I I was definitely seduced by the indie rock world because I I think that that was you know very inventive and you know people like the Pixies and Lemonheads and Juliana Hatfield and that whole crew, you know, I was sort of seduced by that. Um, however, it wasn't really me, hmm. you know, uh, and and I think. Maybe the last five records, five or six records, I've found out what I can, what I can do and do well, and you know, tell the story I want to tell. Mm. But it's it's difficult to to figure that out. It is. It's it's what we yeah. do, especially if you have some type of creative outlet. Your life is figuring out who yeah. you are, and it's like yeah. all knowledge is ultimately self knowledge. Like I'm bad at math. Well, I learned that from being bad at math you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah you're a musician so you should be good at math mu music is all math i mean i'm good you at know? that applied math but if i have to solve for x i'm gonna yes, put on a I record know. i guess um <laughs> yeah but, <laughs> um so your mom was an opera singer and like listening especially hearing that no 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 no, no. Yeah, okay my mom all right my mom was a was a homemaker and a teacher and a teacher, uh, eventually a librarian. Okay. Um, she was a teacher before we were born. Like she taught, uh, I don't know, middle school, maybe. Okay. Tough group. <laughs> I think, well, I, it wasn't, there wasn't even a middle school at that, but it was like first through eighth and then high school. Uh, I think she taught like fifth or sixth grade and then she had kids. She sang opera okay. in college in college so every once in a while she'd she'd uh let loose and you know my dad played classical piano and, and sometimes they would do that it wasn't your like happy sing-along <laughs> that yeah. you experienced uh <laughs> they didn't they didn't have any cool records it was all you know long hair and opera stuff and and so we were left to fend or so fend for ourselves <laughs> But as far as like singing kind of techniques or bits, did she show you anything? Well, I could tell that I could tell that she breathed from her diaphragm. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's a big deal. It was, and and I, it wasn't that I. She said, "Okay, this is how you do it." I just saw it and learned it right. by by example. Yeah, that's but just to see that you know, coming from like the punk realm of things, like your voice stands so strong and still. Like on this record, mm. it sounds just as good as it did on like X's first record. I'm like, holy shit! Like you yeah. gotta, you know, because the 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 environment and screaming and that like, I can't I can't do a I can't do two gigs in a row like that. Well, I I I I don't want to blow my own horn, but I hope that I sing better than I did when X made their first record. <laughs> on the other hand, uh, I never could really scream. It didn't. It didn't sound. It didn't sound good. It didn't have that like Jim Morrison or Kurt Cobain or or even um, you know Screaming Jay Hawkins or 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 uh, 
howling wolf. You know, I, I couldn't do that. Didn't sound good. So I didn't. I mean, if anything, I'm like kind of croony uh, for a punk rock singer. Songs, you know, yeah, yeah. songs like songs like Adult Books or Blue Spark or uh, even Unheard Music and, and things like that. So, um, but I've learned a lot, and and I, I keep learning stuff about um, being vulnerable while you're doing it, being present, being um, uh, you know, having a little bit of uh, self-awareness. So you're not complete, you're immersed and you're in the moment, but you still have a little bit in reserve. And that's, that's when you can really, that's when you can connect with, with stuff, with the song. That's when you can connect with people, I think. That's beautiful. Now, like, yeah, yeah, but that <laughs> it's a lifetime of figuring, f- being comfortable with that vulnerability. Cause there's so mm-hmm. much like, uh, but like when you, is that kind of like the reserve of being able to like kind of belt in a certain situation or kind of like convey more like songwriting wise, like, can you elaborate on that a little bit? It's, it's, uh, it's using dynamics. It's not singing at the top of your range. It's, it's, uh, having a, a little bit of, um, uh, like I say, self-awareness, a, a little bit of, of, um, you know, like consciousness so you're not just completely in it the best Mm. drummers have that the best drummers have that they're 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 you know doing this physical uh this physical creativity but they have a little bit of reserve they can they can sort of watch themselves a little bit you know yeah well they're Uh, they're kind of like conducting they bring it down i get i get what you're saying yeah okay all right that's cool. But that, it is definitely, it is, you can, you can get so wrapped up in the way you sound in your voice, in what's coming out of your lungs and body, um, that you can lose yourself. Hmm. And if you have that, if you have that little, um, step back, then, then you can do both. And, and, that you know, you can't teach that. It's just something you kind of figure out. You can say it, but doing it is a different thing. Right. And, and, uh, there's all different levels of it. Now, like in like earlier X shows, was it kind of hard to find that because of maybe the chaotic oh, nature? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Totally. <laughs> there was no even there was no no chance of having that. <laughs> you had to you had to keep your eyes open so you didn't get hit by a bottle or, <laughs> or something. <laughs> People get all excited, then they just feel like they got to throw their you know empty beer bottle at you. Or maybe they didn't like you. you know, I don't know. Maybe they're just being they're being all punk rock and shit. One thing there I've... was none of that. Okay. There was none of that. So that's later. That's later. <laughs> yeah. Different. And and that is why I feel like the one of the most fortunate people ever because I get to do both. I get yeah. to do solo solo stuff where there's a little more nuance or dynamics, and then I get to do X, which has a different. You, you still have to have dynamics. But it's just different. It's more, it's louder. It's bigger and louder, you know. So I'm really, I'm really grateful for that. That's one thing I uh, I heard somewhere or read somewhere that one of your first concerts was this Rolling Stone show <laughs> that went haywire, and it's interesting that some of the more punk oh, concerts yeah. were equally as haywire. <laughs> Set the yes. standard, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That seems cool. What if I did that? No. I, 
that's how the pros yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah. It was it was at a time I don't I can't remember how old it was, maybe fourteen or fifteen. Uh, I can figure that out, but um <laughs> it was at the at, at a time when they didn't have concert security. They would just call up the if, if stuff went sideways in the city before, they would, you know, the promoter or whoever owned the building would call up the cops, would call up the you know, Baltimore police force and say Hey, bring two dozen of your guys down here. We got a rock show coming in. You know, so it was the cops that were throwing people off stage. <laughs> it was just mayhem and silliness. It's crazy. Yeah. Do you uh, um kind of like I guess to build upon the ego comment, like approaching uh to that vulnerability as a band, like you kind of have that group kind of ego, that kind of comfort. And like, mm-hmm. so did that that kind of work and that kind of growth come from the solo gigs and come from finding that vulnerable place? From stepping out of like, this is us against them yeah. and watch out, here's some bottles is more of yeah. like, yeah? No, I, I think it came from just realizing personally that I, I needed to exercise some different muscles. I needed some different some different personal growth. Which I, you know, it, it bleeds it bleeds over into your professional work, but um, yeah, you, you don't have to write political songs to be politically active, that right. kind of thing. And to some degree, I think maybe when you don't, they're almost more effective, you know. Yes. Because it's yeah. it kind of it keeps the lyrics from, as Joe Strummer says, being further away from lettuce, you know. Um, being that they How don't go it? bad, like if you, I've heard there's oh, a, oh, right. It, right. Joe Strummer's got a bit where like lyrics are like one. lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, yeah, there, there's a couple of there's a couple of political songs or politically inspired songs on this new record. Guilty Bystander was definitely right. one. Yeah, I wrote that wrote that after George Floyd was murdered, and um, uh, what was the other one that's a little bit like that? Well. I don't know, but um, the accordion on yeah. that track's beautiful. Whoever, whoever, oh man, yeah, that's that's this guy. Josh, he is in a, a very traditional conjunto band uh, from San Antonio, and uh, yeah, Josh is just out of control. He, he he did like six takes, and each one was more outside than the <laughs> than, than the one than the one before it. Steve Berlin and I are looking at each other like. Shit, maybe this was a bad idea. <laughs> and then Josh, then Josh says, "Hey, maybe I should just do like a Mexican style one." And we said, "Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> just do it like what you what you normally do." Because he was trying to be all crazy and wild and show off, and and it was great. It was incredible, but it just was not necessarily hit, fitting the song. So, uh, yeah, when he said, "Maybe I'll do one Mexican style." <laughs> Fuck yeah. And those and he did like two takes of that and it was awesome. It's interesting with like some of those access or other instruments you add to a track, like when when the uh-huh. guy's trying to be hip, you know, and is playing out there chords and cool fills, but really all you need is that that texture. Like yeah. and it it, yeah. it kind of matches the feel of everything. Less is more in uh as far as like, yeah. kind of what we were diving into. Um Well this was a, this was definitely a uh deeper understanding of less is more. 
Right. It was we we kind of set it up like that because that's the way the songs were created, and and then the bass and drums have more space to be melodic because there's not electric guitars and yeah. keyboards and all this other stuff soaking up all the room. And uh, I I will totally cop to the fact that it was um, influenced by the John Wesley Harding record that Bob Dylan did. Because that was very live. That was very live. It was very simple, you know, bass and drums and guitar and vocal and the harmonica. That's that was about it. Yeah. yeah. I was influenced by that very much. Well, and it's also kind of like a, the, the self thing you were working on with yourself is becomes the practice of your art, which is this record, which is a really cool manifestation of that. Well, there's a yes. I, I read something and I, I, I should have saved it and so I could quote it. But um, it was someone talking about being an artist and an artist is saying an artist is just working on themselves. If you work on yourself, then it'll be, and you grow and you learn and, you know, are curious and, and see different things, then your art will reflect that. So basically you're just working on yourself. It's not just so you're working on your art. Mm. And, and that, I thought that was pretty um, insightful. That to, is. A... Yeah. Cause it, cause it does bleed into it. You know, if you have different experiences, then they're going to show up in what you, what you do. If you're, you know, like your students, if you're, uh, differently abled, you're gonna do some unexpected cool shit. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna put you're gonna put words together in a different way. You're gonna you know the 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 grammar or whatever might not be right, but it's gonna say what you mean. <laughs> it's gonna be like wow, <laughs> check check that out. Look at you. You don't you yeah. you know you know a lot even though. <laughs> Other people would say, oh, that's not right. It's like, who gives a shit? No, I, def I definitely agree with that. And it's it's interesting because, like, sometimes it's not how – it's not what exactly is being said. It's how it's said. And, like, I've recently never been more proud yeah. of my kiddos. I've heard so much – they've, they've, there's been so much at the tail end of the year here. They're like, oh, check, check out what I made on GarageBand. I'm like, holy shit, that's incredible. Yeah. You learned that from me? Yeah. No, you didn't. <laughs> like <laughs> – well, you, um, you know, you open, you might've opened the door, but they walk through it and that's it. I, I know that feeling. It's very rewarding. It's very yeah. rewarding. You, uh, you taught some poetry courses, right? Oh, here and there. I, yeah. I still write, I still write poems. Are you still uh, doing just, a Zoom group? I, yes. I, nice. It's, it's, it's exciting. And, and you got to come up with a poem <laughs> every month. That's one a good a, one a month. <laughs> that's a great that's keeping yourself in check. Uh that's awesome. Yeah. Um one last thing I know you got to go. Um living expanded. I don't know if that kind of tails into that what we just talked about that. Uh but I've heard that through a couple interviews and that's made me say yes to so many gigs that I don't know if I should have said yes to John. <laughs> I hear you. Um, where did, did that, was that kind of through all the same process too, that you came upon that philosophy or that came upon that kind of insight? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. Like in, in going back to work and oh, well, being, just, take, taking the chance of being in front of people and getting sick. Right. No, no, no. That, like, uh, oh, okay. uh, um, yeah, no, not like, <laughs> not your health, but I mean like with working with like these poets doing this zoom group and like, 
honing your writing and having this like, th- oh. I got to turn this in. I got to keep keep sharp in yeah. that craft. Um, I think live live expanding is what you said, and it may have been from a. I think this yes. is an interview you did with Chris from the Foo Fighters. Um, right. I was like, that's a that's an insightful bit. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, if you can, if you think you can bring something to a project, if someone get, makes an offer, you know, like, Hey, you want to work on such and such. Then if you think you can do it, or even if it's well outside your comfort zone, I think as a creator, you got to give it a shot. So, so yeah, in, in the poetry group, I, I just see people doing great things and I hope it rubs off and, and yes, I have to bring something that I'm still working on, but I, it's got something there and, and I've, I've put some effort into, into making it right, you know, or making it, making it good, making it say something. Um, so yes, I, I think it is, yeah, to, to be, to challenge yourself, to, to try to, you know, work outside your comfort zone to expand because yeah, the alternative, especially as you get older is to contract and that, that sucks. We've all, yeah. we've all seen that, yeah. you know, we've all seen that with, with family members or, or friends where they, and it's, it's, uh, I don't know, something about getting old in America. You, you want to, you know, you end up living in like a single room and it's like, Oh fuck. <laughs> I, hope I, I hope I don't do that. I, I won't, I, I will not do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely I, I've played a big chunk of my my gigage was nursing home gigs too. I would do one every day yeah. after teaching all day. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. And like, well, good. That's that's a that's a beautiful thing. It definitely it definitely was super fun. Um, John, thank you. So, I know we've hit our forty five. I really really appreciate you taking time. I've been looking forward to chatting with you for quite some time. So thank you so much. Where, so so where do you live? I live in uh, I live outside Cleveland. Well, well, maybe I'll. Yeah, maybe I'll see you in that uh, at that music box thing in uh, in June. All right. All right, my dude. <laughs> awesome, John. Well, safe travels and hopefully catch you then. All right, buddy. Talk to you then. All right, later. Bye bye.